There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. Win. you uh, located near me and I got a serious problem I wondered if you could help me out uh, I, I was wondering could y'all get out uh, 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 it's embarrassing just to even say on the phone but I got a real problem can you get out uh, semen stains uh, yeah you can okay because I got it all over uh, my girl's dress she she my girl but she ain't my wife is that clear you know what I'm saying yeah, anyway, so we have to bring it and then we have to see it. Depend on the material, so depend on stain. So it's it's, it's semen stains. It's it's a lot of semen on there. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's every place. And and my wife is her favorite dress. I let my girl wear it. Uh -huh. she... Anyway, so bring it. So we see. Okay. Uh, can, is there a man there that can take my my dress when I bring it in? Because I, I'm gonna be embarrassed to bring that in there. Have you ever had a semen stain on your dress? And how to get it yeah. out? Yeah. You have? Oh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. What's your name? One second. Let me transfer one second. Oh, okay. This is Marco speaking. How can I help you? Oh, thank God. It's a man. I was so embarrassed talking to your girl in there. Uh, I got a dress, okay? And it's, it's my wife's dress, but I let my girlfriend wear it. Uh, yesterday when she come over and we got a messing around and there is semen all up on this dress every place on the neck really up on the breast area down in the crotch it is a semen laden and and I am nervous and I was wondering could y'all get it out without messing up the dress because my wife is mean as hell and she big <laughs> and I'm scared all right man, just bring it in and we'll take care of it for you when do you need it uh I need it. I need it today. I need it in like in like two hours. Can oh you... no! We the latest. Oh man! No! Don't say no! I'll pay extra. I do what I got to do. I I just I am so scared. If you see my wife, you will be scared too. Really? Yeah. No. We stopped taking you... orders until uh, twelve o'clock. Are, uh, are, are you a married? Are you a married man? Are you a married uh, man? Are you a married yeah, man? Yeah, I am. Okay, so you know what kind of position I'm in. You can respect this. Well, try to bring it as soon as possible. Hold on. Why they keep putting down hole? Yeah, the guys will be leaving at three o'clock, so there's no way I'll have it down for you. Oh man, can you you ain't you ain't know how to clean none of this? Uh, no, it's because uh, they have a certain time to shut down all the machines. That's why. Oh, on a side note, uh, who is that girl I was talking to a minute ago? Uh, she's one on uh, one of the managers. Is she married? Uh, yes. She's, oh, that's too bad. Does she, does she play? Uh-huh. Does she play? I don't, I don't think so. Because <laughs> she sounds fine as hell. <laughs> I guess that's what got me in all this trouble in the first place, and I should just back off that. So, uh, you, can you recommend me to somebody who can get out semen stains pronto? Uh, well, there's uh, cleaners in Burbank. That one, they work 24 hours. So 24 that one, hours they can semen removal? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That one's removable. Don't worry about it. Semen is removable? Yeah, but okay. you need to work on it as soon as possible. Oh, I've been working on it. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. You know. You sound like a player yourself. Uh, no, sir. Yeah, just take it over there. Uh, they open 24 hours. And they specialize in semen stain removal? Yeah, they do. They okay. Do. That's like their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Sir. Have a great day. Okay. Bye bye. You have a great day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither podcast, episode 16. And I'm in studio with my buddy, John Sheezer. Had a long morning, John. I had a call in radio this morning, which at 6 45 a.m., which is, uh, it was actually okay. These guys in Des Moines, Iowa did a pretty good job, but it, it, it can be fucking brutal. A call-in radio. You ever done a lot of call-in radio? You know, most of the radio I've done has actually just been in studio. I'm trying to set up some call-in stuff uh, in Oregon right now for the to promote the tour I'm doing next week or or th that's going on this week. And so, 
but I haven't. No, long. I always, I always hang up like, uh, like wondering, like, uh, is that really getting anybody out to the show? <laughs> like, like you can hear how sleepy I am, and like I'm sitting there in my underwear. That aspect of it is kind of fun, knowing that I'm talking to potentially hundreds of thousands of people, and I'm sitting in my underwear. That's kind of fun for me. So was that? Uh, so normally, I mean, typically. You do radio when you get to the city. Why was it this time that you were doing? You had to do the, uh, uh, I don't. Call in? I don't know. Uh, I might do some when I get there also, but I had they had me call in two of them, so I don't know. Maybe it was a scheduling thing or something like that. It sounds like it's just good management. I mean, wh- I mean that makes more sense. It's like have the comedian call in midweek, early week. That way, more people will come out for the Thursday. Yeah, better shows Friday. Just. It gives people more time to, you know, sit on it. Well, think I think it. they actually, I think they actually recorded it and they play it later in the week. So, I don't know what the hell they do. I just wake up when they tell me to and uh, and go to go and do the radio. And and they were good though. They laughed at everything, which <laughs> we've had this discussion. But you think they would know like DJs when to laugh? Um, my buddies Bud and Broadway, they're out of St. Louis now. They're probably the best in the business as far as interviewing comedians. They laugh so hard, you know, they know where the punchline is, they don't talk over it, uh, they don't interrupt you, all that shit, you know, they're just great. I mean, they laugh so hard that, you know, it just leads you into the next thing, you know. Like they're sitting there, like um, like they're still chuckling as you're setting up and starting yeah, your next. Yeah, you know, bit. yeah, we've talked about that. It just gives you so much more confidence, and it's so much more fun, and it flows so much easier, and, and all that stuff, uh. So I've had a pretty busy morning. I emailed a bunch of bookers, and uh, I uh, talked to my buddy John Reap. Um, for people who don't know who John Reap is, he's been in a lot of movies, and uh, he's going to be on our on our podcast soon, uh, next week or the week after. He was in uh, Harold and Kumar. He's been in uh, all kinds of shit. He was the the the. The way a lot of people know him is he's the Dodge Hemi guy. Remember those great commercials where he would come out and he'd be like, that thing got a Hemi? That was his big, uh, that's what. That was his coming of age. That's kind of what catapulted him into the into the limelight. And he's just taken off from there. And he's always super busy. And uh, we were going to try to get him on today. But um, I didn't think to call him until about 10 minutes before well, we were going to do it. And it, would be, <laughs> and it would be a call-in. And so we're kind of debating on it. You know, it might be better just to do that that, that interview in person. Just because yeah, he's John's that, a great guy. And yeah. we've both known him well over, you know, 10 or 12 years. I remember meeting him, and I think it was the summer of 03. And Ingram had moved out here. And I was just visiting L.A. for the first time. And I remember meeting Reap up at the comedy store. And he had a red four-door geo tracker with North Carolina plates, like he had just gotten off the ten, just rolled into town. <laughs> and I think it was right around then was when those uh, he started filming those commercials, which was great because you know when you're a strong comedian and then you get some sort of national publicity like that, it, it yeah, it's like a double-edged sword because then all of a sudden it's like oh you are talented and now people know who you are more than ever, and so. It just fed the the comedy gods, if you will. I mean, I, I would be hard. I wouldn't. I would almost believe you said John Reap's performed at every club in America. I would believe you just because he yeah he's, he's relentless with his touring and just yeah he's definitely a, a very very busy dude um, and a good guy. John got me my first uh, commercial agent in in L.A., which I think I might get back into that after my summer's over. I might try and get myself a commercial agent and do some of that crap again but I, I never really enjoyed it but when you hit a home run i mean the money in that is so good like a friend of mine was literally in a commercial for i mean if you weren't paying attention you wouldn't even see him and he got like 25 grand right off the jump yeah see that shit is gone though that that was back you got more it's like with comedy you got more for commercials well this was a couple of years ago we did some military gigs together and he told me that he got that so it wasn't that yeah. long ago I mean it's hit or miss anything I've booked is it's either union or non-union so it's like it's frustrating because like I've booked I've seen you in national right exactly I didn't get paid shit for that like really I, I mean I got paid look I paid some rent and some bills and things got sure. paid it was nice but it wasn't $25,000 nice you know and so because a lot of the times some of the auditions now it's like 
you might book it, but it's uh, going to be an internet ad that runs on YouTube, you know, and stuff like that. And yeah. So there's there's that more people of that. only watch until it says skip ad. Yeah, exactly. In five seconds. Uh, so I mean, there is money there. It's it's I I don't think the the pot at the end of the rainbow is quite as hefty as it was 15 years ago, 13, 12 years. I mean, we know people that bought houses on yeah. commercials. Yeah. You know, and. Um, yeah, good gig if you can get it, but uh, I don't know. I say I want to do it again, but then every it made me feel like I had a real job. Like I would always sit in traffic for like, I would sit in traffic for like an hour and a half each way, and the audition would take like an hour before they'd see you, and then the the audition would take like a total, sometimes less than a minute. You know, you just walk in there, and they're like, "Thanks for coming, dickhead." And you're like, "Shit, couldn't I have just sent you a picture?" You know, or a link to me saying hello to you, because that's basically all this was, was me coming all the way over here to say, hi, my name's Tim. And they're like, all right, beat it. They're like, we're not really sure what we're looking for. Here's a script, but even though we told you that it was yeah. just going to be kind of an improv thing, here's a script anyway. Yeah, oh. here's a script. You've got 30 seconds to memorize that shit. And, uh... But don't worry about the script. Just It's a script. Don't worry about the script. It's like, what do you do? Like, everything that you're saying is contradicting itself within 20 seconds. The last audition I did was for America's Got Talent. And I don't know if we were doing the podcast then. I don't think we were. But the last audition I did was for America's Got Talent. And I was on the fence about whether or not I even really wanted to do it. Because, you know, and again, it's kind of the problem these days. Like... You work hard to be a good comedian, like a headlining comedian, that becomes your goal. And then people get catapulted to national prominence over for doing like, what do they do for sets there? 60 seconds or 90 seconds on that show? I yeah, think it's that, not much. That would be time it's too, for... It's like two jokes. That would be time for me to get out, yeah, maybe one or two jokes. Because usually I look down at my clock when I, I usually start my clock and my first joke usually takes around 50 seconds to a minute you know so i would have to like totally change my style and just make it be like punch 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 you know hardly any setup there's no like figuring out who this guy is as a person that kind of shit anyway so i did the audition and obviously didn't get on the show but uh, i didn't really want to get on it anyway to be completely honest with you like maybe i should have, but I think part of me subconsciously was like, "Fuck this, I want to." <laughs> no, I. <laughs> you know, I, you're gonna reduce what I've done for 18 years down to 60 seconds, and then judge me on it. Fuck you. You know, somebody who's never even done it before. That's what kills me too about this business. The people who judge it are always people who couldn't do it to save their life. Like, okay, that that makes all the sense in the world. Or they're not even looking for what's funny. They're looking for what they can package and sell. Exactly. And, and you're just like, branding. Okay. That's, yeah. what, that's, that's what you hear anymore, more than anything. It's branding. What's your brand? Does funny fucking matter anymore? You know, like, no, it really doesn't. You know, unless you have a... You know your brand. I do. I went down there. I when it was in L.A. like three years ago. I went down there and down just, to what, buddy? The American America's Got Talent competition. Oh, okay. Audition. Yeah, okay. and it was it was. Uh, I did it. I didn't even really want to do it. I just did it because uh, you never know. One uh, and then two. I wanted it to be a thing where I'm where I could say, I it, at least I did that. You know, I, it, sure. It was one of those things where it's like outside your comfort zone. In the sense of like, I normally would not even consider it, but I was just like, screw it. They always want you to change what you do. That's another thing that bothers me about it. They're like, well, just change fuck to hell. Well, uh, I guess I can do that, but it's not going to be the same joke. That's not the best example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but sometimes fuck, <laughs> and again, maybe maybe uh, if, if you can't write a joke without... Uh, the word fuck making it funny then you shouldn't do it maybe there's some people who think that but sometimes fuck is what makes that joke <laughs> you know a well-timed fuck jason dixon said to me that your comedy uh, your material should be like your like the steak or the main course of what you're eating and then you just cussing is like you just sprinkle it with a little bit of seasoning you know too much seasoning oh you can't handle it it's too much it's you know it's offensive, you know, but the right amount, it's perfect, you know. But but my point is that studios and people who cast that kind of stuff are always like, okay, just 
change change just just change these two words and and you're like well as a true artist and performer you know professional you're like but then that's not the same joke you know so they you're changing they want the us, color of my paints here you yeah know? they want us to water it down and and i don't know man what what the fuck is this attack on on comics like these days i mean it's just so stupid it, don't come well, to a comedy show if you're easily offended that's true. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. Just don't even walk through the doors. Just, just don't come. I mean, if you know that you're that type of person or that you're um it just that, it yeah. just tells me you're ignorant. If you're yeah. offended that easily, how ignorant of you to walk into a comedy club and feel and to think that it's going to be squeaky clean unless it says, "Hey, squeaky clean show," which there are. Go to those shows. Yeah. They'll promise no cuss words and guess what? There will be no cuss words. There I, there might be a crap I read Maybe. a quote one time, a great quote that said, uh, education is the ability to listen to almost anything and not get offended. Because when you're educated, you can look at somebody who's not and be like, oh, you're just stupid, you know, and and, and, and almost feel sorry for him. Justin I, and I were talking about that the other day. You know, when you get to a certain age, you're like, eh, you poor bastard. <laughs> It happened to me. I met some people. They had just moved to L.A. up at the comedy store the other night. Yeah. And I was, and I go, you guys getting acclimated pretty well? And they just kind of looked at me. I mean, you're getting used to everything. And then the one girl goes, what's acclimated mean? And then Where was this at? Sorry. At the comedy store. Okay. And then the girl next to her goes, oh, it means like, you're, like we're getting like used to it. And I'm, yeah. and I'm just like, but... I felt that level of sorry. I'm like, man, that sucks that this girl. Yeah. I mean, that's like a middle school word. Yeah. Acclimation. You know, it's easy to spell, even though I'm not going <laughs> to attempt to spell it. Uh, you well, know, but, but you do. Easy. You feel sorry because you're like, man, because and then immediately anything that else that comes out of their mouth, you're like, well, I don't really. Uh, and yeah, I have to remind myself that when I do certain jokes, like I've got this joke about the Ten Commandments that I think is funny, and then I have to, and it. There's a lot of times it doesn't get hardly anything, and I really only do it to lead into something else. But I also think it's, it makes a pretty good point. But then I have to remember there's a lot of people who don't have any idea of what the Ten Commandments are. Most people, I would say, these days, especially younger generations, they don't know. I mean, yeah, church isn't the, isn't the thing it used to be. You know? Ten Commandments, the, the movie, isn't the only thing to watch around the holidays right. you know, amongst the five other movies like it used to be. Yeah. God, there's so many channels anymore. I don't even know how they... I mean, obviously, there's a market for it, and they make money, but you come across so much shit on, like, Hulu and those places that you're like... Even sometimes good shows, and I guess there's always a market for it, but you're like, how are they making money off of these off of these indie movies, you know, but they have to be or they wouldn't be doing it. Because they don't give us shit. They give us, like, a quarter of the budget. Yeah. I mean, if we're lucky, I'll take it, please. By all means, shovel it my way. But <laughs> that's, you know, they say the budget, It's it's. I think it's it's cheaper to film a lot of the stuff now, uh, you know. Yeah. Even with that's the... why rea reality TV so fucking expensive, or so popular. And, you know, there's a production crew that goes along with that, too, but it's, you're not a, on a soundstage on the Warner Brothers lot. You yeah. know, employing 400 people to make a show run. Yeah. You know, maybe half as many people have jobs. That Which, good shows. This this show I just started watching, it's called Adam Ruins Everything. It's on, uh, God, what network is Anyway, I think it's on TBS network, but uh, it's great because the whole show is him talking about things and ruining it for him, whether uh, <laughs> like red carpets and like why people wear this and that, sports, and he brings up the question, yeah. like why... You have why are you elite? Why do you have allegiance to this team when the players trade constantly are evolving? It's never the same actual team from year to year. Yeah, uh, you know every by every eight years, most teams have completely different players. You know, and that sort of thing. And then he brought up football and how football is not going to exist in fifty years, and how it's going to football will be like horse racing and boxing was back in the thirties and forties. Oh yeah, and you know so. I don't think that. You think that'll happen? I dude? do. I do. I do a joke Fo about it. Football the popular as hell. Is. It is, but it's football is not. Football is. There's just not going to be people to play football uh, in 50 years. I mean, I guess there always will be, but the, if the why, fans, I mean, there, why not? What the hell else are big, huge athletes going to do? I mean, they, that's. I think that's why boxing is dying because 
um, anyone who's big enough and strong enough and athletic enough to be a heavyweight fighter is like, well, I might as well play in the NFL, <laughs> you know, because otherwise you're just going to get your brains beat in. Either and... way, you're taking – now, the whole episode was, you know, concussions. That was the – Okay. They were like, oh, it's going to be concussions and this. And Yeah, I just hope I just hope if I have a kid that they wrestle and I don't have to worry about – well. Cauliflower ear and that's it? Yeah, well, even then you wear headgear and you don't have to get cauliflower ear. I wish I had just a little bit more, just a little bit more. I've well, got I've got a pretty good in my right ear, but in my left you can barely see it, and I do wish I have it a little bit more. I mean, I wrestled for sixteen years, fifteen years. I, I should have more. Well, you didn't take enough losses. That's your problem. <laughs> you would have gotten your ass beat a few more times. You'd have some more cauliflower ear. I actually got cauliflower within one week of college practice. That's how rough it was. The difference between high school to college. Plus, we had to wear our headgear every day in high school, and then you get to college, and it's kind of an option. So, and cauliflower ear listeners, if you're not familiar, because this is back into the wrestling forte, is that's uh, the definition, Tim? When you get your uh, uh, blood vessels and, and your cartilage busted in your ear, it can uh, swell up and they have to drain it with a needle. They just stick a needle in your ear and pull it out just like drawing blood from anything, which sounds awful, but it doesn't hurt at all. At least it didn't hurt me. And uh, the, the pressure release is awesome. Oh. You can just feel it. You're like, oh. You know, but it looked like it looked like I had a... It looked like somebody put my stove to an ear or something. I mean, it, my ear to a stove, it was... It was just ballooned up and looked nasty. But there was a part of me that was like, check it out. Sweet. I got the cauliflower ear. <laughs> Hell yeah, battle wounds. That's why I picked uh, playing football. I had like a nasty scar on my leg. I picked that scab for months yeah. just to make sure that thing wasn't going away for a couple of years. Yeah, I used to love getting... And I like to pick scabs. So I was like, yeah, you were that kid? Yeah. I liked, uh, I liked black eyes. I, I seemed to get black eyes all the time when I was a kid, when I was wrestling. I don't know why I led with my face a lot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> take that like, yeah damn. yeah and nowadays man i just turned 42 and i thought i was uh i thought i was one of those lucky people that you know i'd heard like well once you hit 40 shit starts happening and so i'd gotten to almost 42 and i'm like yeah i've had a few bumps in here and there but you know i'm, I'm staying in pretty good shape and in the last few i don't know like i don't know like the last month like i gained like three pounds which doesn't sound like a lot but it just kind of, like, I went from 165 to 168, and I'm like, well, what happened to 66 and 67? I weigh myself, <laughs> like, every morning almost, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, what happened to those just two jump pounds? Straight to the... Yeah, I just jumped straight to 168, and I'm like, what the fuck? And everything's starting to hurt and break down. I, I'm going to have to start doing freaking yoga. I've heard that, it, that once that starts happening, that if you don't do yoga, you're, you're done for pretty soon. Because everything freaking hurts, man, and it sucks. I told myself I was going to wrestle in an old-timers tournament. and Yeah, it was a month ago, actually, I think on episode number 10. Well, I, I want to do it every year around July. They have a tournament, and every year I think about doing it. It's, they call it a veterans tournament. And uh, every year, it seems like the last three years, a different injury has popped up. This one, I fucked myself up skiing, and it hasn't been the same since. My shoulder, but... uh. That's that's nature's cruel little joke. Uh, you know, you get older, you get around 38, 40, you start figuring some shit out, you know. Things become kind of clear to you that you're like, oh, well, that wasn't near as big a deal as I thought it was. You know, you just start figuring stuff out, and then your body starts to go to shit. And when you're young and you've got, you know, everything going for you, your joints and your ligaments and, and your recovery is fast, you're a Hours. fucking idiot. You're you're just a mental midget, you know, um, and and you think things are such a big deal. I have a, a nephew. I don't know if he listens to this podcast, but I love him to death. He's very talented. He's a smart kid, and he's going through a rough time. And uh, um, you know, I'm able to give him this advice, but I don't feel like he really can take it yet. Like can can take that advice because. He's just that age. Yeah, mentally you can't sponge that in. He's just You're... that age where he's like, well, you don't understand my situation kind of a thing. You know, because like, we've all been there. We've all thought, well, my heart's broken like no one has ever had it broken. <laughs> like, <laughs> like someone will try to talk us through it, you know, like, oh, buddy, it's going to get better. And, 
there's more fish in the sea and blah, blah, blah. They can throw all that shit at you because so many people have been through heartbreak. But when you're going through it yourself, you're like, oh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's just the worst thing ever. Um, and then you get older and you're like, Jesus, what if that had worked out the way I wanted it to? What if I ended up marrying that woman or had a kid with her? You know, how freaking miserable I would have been or, you know, you're able to look back on that stuff. That's what I kind of do. I do that sometimes too. Where I look back and let's just say like there's some things that didn't happen that should have or, ex- you know, I'm like, you know what? It, everything, I'm, I'm fine now. And who knows what could have happened had that gone through. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whether it was like a relationship thing or a business thing. It's just like, you know what? You just can can learn from that. And uh, for me, I just assume that the worst would have happened. That way it makes me feel better. Like, yeah. I'm like, missed opportunity? It would have been shitty. I, I lost a wrestling match my junior year of high school at the in the regional finals. I lost to a kid who had no business beating me. And it put me on the side of the bracket at state that was the better side of the bracket, frankly. And I ended up placing in the top six. And, and it gave me the confidence to know, like, I can win this whole thing next year. And I did. And, and uh, you know, my life has turned out the way it has. But... If I had won that match my junior year, then I had gone to state and not placed. Would I have had the confidence to become a state champ my senior year, which led me to wrestle in college for two years, that led me to meet these people and take this path and blah, blah, blah? You know what I mean? Like, it sounds whatever, but if I would have lost that match, or if I would have won that match, rather, you know, it would have... And I thought about that. I don't know what made me think about that, um, but it's just weird. It's just weird how how you look back on stuff and you're like, I can't believe I lost that guy. I think that's what it was. A friend and I were talking about something and it popped up. I was like, Yeah, that's right. I lost to that. I can't fucking believe that. And then I started thinking about it. Well, X Y Z would have happened, and you know, I've got lifelong friends from where I wrestled in college, and and you know, all Plus, that shit. I'm sure there was a level of uh, disappointment in yourself too where you're like, you know what, maybe if I try a little harder or you knew maybe why you, sure, you yeah. lost the match, you know, too. So from a wrestling standpoint, you know, it geared you up for the yeah, for the next season. But that is weird to think about. I mean, especially I mean, at least you're, you're not beating yourself up no, about it. Cuz no. I know people that would. Sure. You know, be like, "Oh man, if this would have happened, then my life would be different." It's like, "Dude, you just need to maybe work on your present day life and stop worrying about you know 14 years ago yeah because you know what it's been kicking your ass for 14 years since then too yeah and every just i think that the point of it is that everything that happens to you leads you down a certain path like we've talked about my brother and how kick-ass a wrestler he was and how our home life didn't allow him to bring those talents to fruition and but if that shit hadn't happened, he would have gone on and wrestled somewhere, and he wouldn't have the wife he has now, and he wouldn't have the five beautiful kids he has. And, you know, I He'd mean... He'd probably still have that gorgeous hair, though, right? <laughs> yeah, he would probably still have the sweet hair. My brother, <laughs> my brother, uh, he still looks like a freaking teen beat model or something. Um, I mean, especially for the Midwest, it's impressive, and with kids. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm 36. People be like, in the Midwest, I, I could pass for 28. Probably yeah. people are like, oh, you look, you know, they, I get that I look young, yeah. but I'm like, I don't have any kids. I haven't gone through that. But for your husband or for your brother to have gone through five kids. And when you live in California, you get, you save years because the sun, it's, you know, to battle the winters, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like a younger vibe out here. So just your, your appearance is a little bit younger as well. But having your brother never lived in California, five kids, and for him to be in his forties and still, he could pass, he could pass for 32, 30 years old, probably in a yeah. movie. He works so freaking hard. My brother works like I've seen him literally paint cars for 90 hours in one week before, um, which is probably more than I worked all of last year. <laughs> so, you know, uh, when you break down actual stage time, um, the travel and all that shit is the real work of what we do. But excuse me. Um, yeah. So we've all got our path. All shit happens and it leads us down. You know, you just never know. I think that's the whole point of trying to live in the moment and all that shit that everyone's always preaching. Uh, a therapist, I think, somebody told me one time that when you're anxious, you're living in the future. When you're depressed, you're living in the past. And when you're happiest is when you're just enjoying what's in front of you. You know, like here I'm sipping 
sipping some strong ass tea. I feel like I smoked crack over here. And <laughs> Ooh, what kind of tea is that? I need to get. Uh, it's just black tea. I quit drinking coffee, and uh, black tea has the uh, most caffeine. And uh, I'm over here drinking espresso, like just. Dang. Yeah, so we're all caffeined up, and we're in the studio, and uh, you know it's kind of cloudy today, which never happens. And I'm getting ready to go uh, do 18 shows, and. I wanted to talk. I want, this. I kind of wanted to talk about traveling because you you brought it up. Uh, comedy. It's weird because, and you just said it. You spend there's so much preparation. Like let's just say the Des Moines thing. That's Thursday, Friday, two shows. Friday, two shows. Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, or the Vegas thing. Um, the travel, everything. Like you're you've invested twelve hours just getting to work that day. Like your commute to work. It's 14 hours someday if you're going to Syracuse, New York. I mean, yeah. how long did that take you to get there? Uh, total travel time, like, like eight or nine hours. But unfortunately, I didn't have to work that night. But I've had shows where I've, like, driven 15 hours and literally stumbled out of my car and onto the stage. And that's a weird thing. I remember the first time I ever did that, I was in, like, I drove to Mankato, Minnesota. Or yep. South think, of Minneapolis. I think it was actually farther than that because it was... It was uh, it was 15 hours. Minot, North Dakota. Oh, I yeah. drove to Minot, North Dakota when I was starting out in this little Celica. And it was 15 hours. And I think I made $400. And uh, I was featuring for Troy Baxley. And uh, I remember walking onto the stage and literally just being like, I'd never done that before. I'd only been doing comedy a couple of years. And my like, it was an out-of-body experience to drive that far and literally... You know, not talking to your, not talking to anybody Silence. about yourself yeah. for fifteen hours. Trying to find radio stations. Yeah, and I had never done that, and uh, it kicked my ass. I drove that way one time with my back out, and uh, I, that's when I did the forty-five minutes leaning over a stool, like literally, like I was getting a prostate exam because um, <laughs> my back Ugh. hurt. My back hurt so bad. And some of the gigs that are the shittiest, like there was this club in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And they like literally bolted you in the in this apartment that they had attached to the club at night, and uh, it, it. What do you I, mean bolt? <laughs> well, they closed the door and you could hear them lock it. And then there was another there was another door that you could technically get out of, but it was like this glass door, and there was like an apartment attached to the club, and they had like two fridges like stacked on top of each other, and the, it was all really dark. And I, like, never took off my hooded sweatshirt. It was so freaking gross. And, uh... Comedy living. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, just... I mean, they would have gotten in trouble had somebody, like, been like, this is where you're putting your talent? There's fire code. Like, you know, you couldn't... You couldn't get... You could get out at night, but it was dark. And it was a glass door. And the... The the lock stuck. And the bottom of the door, like, stuck on the concrete. I mean, you would have burned to death before you would have freaking... You would have had to try to throw a couch through the window or something. Um, But the shows... I remember I was smoking pot. It was a long time ago, like 12 years ago. God, 15 years ago. And I would smoke, like, an entire joint back there in that hovel by myself. And then I would walk out on stage. Like, they would announce me. I'd, like, put it back. I'd, like, put it out as they were saying, please welcome Tim Gaither. And I'd walk. Because you could walk through the. Then you could walk through the club. And it was, like, this stripper stage that started almost in the kitchen where you walked out. You just walked right out on the stage. And so you're in these horrible shit environment. I mean, it was the most disgusting place I've ever been put in my career. And the shows were amazing. I mean, these people laughed at everything. They bought up a ton of shirts. And then you'd go back into your freaking hovel and you'd hear them. (laughs) All right, put them away. Bolt that door. But yeah, I was so cocky back then. I would like pull my hat down way over my eyes. And I felt like I was like hiding from the crowd. And, uh, And I would just lean against the wall and just, and you know, maybe nowadays I wouldn't think it was as great as I did, but. Back then, it just felt, it just felt awesome. Like you're like, this is my office. This is how I would yeah. act in my office. Yeah, and I and I feel myself getting back to that, like the way I feel before I go on stage. Something has changed in me the last few months. Um, but there was a time I was like pretty calm before going on stage. There was none of this nerve shit or anything. Um, or there was some, but then there was times where I could literally be like taking a nap almost before they said my name. 
Uh, I remember talking on the phone one time to Justin. He was like, what you fixing to do? And I was like, getting ready to blow the roof off this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And now I rarely, you know, like talk on the phone or get my head anywhere besides where it needs to be. And I think part of it's because now I'm headlining like good rooms. And so there's a little more anxiety there. But the more I'm like, you know what, fuck it. The best set I've ever done in my life probably was uh, after I did that Vegas special. The next day I had another show on a Sunday and I've never been more relaxed. I was like eating cookies on stage. and uh, oh, That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it was fun. Got man. any hot milk in here? Hot milk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was eating cookies on stage. Um, Arizona is one of my favorite states to work in. They're just, they're just good laughers. You know, in Ohio, the state of Ohio is fucking great for some reason. For some reason, some reason. Uh, I've never, never. I've. You never worked in Ohio. Dude, I've never done comedy east of. I think Columbia, Missouri. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I think that's probably no, no, that's not true. I did University of Miami like six years ago. Okay. So I've done Miami, the university, and then everything else is west of the Mississippi. I've heard that I don't know. I, I've I've never done comedy in Miami, and uh, I don't know how well I would do. <laughs> this was a college gig, but it was seven years ago, so it was it was pre millennial stuff, yeah. and it was great actually. I did the show with uh, one of the head writers of the uh, Daily Show. He, now he is. He was an intern back then, but um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a good experience. It was like this weird octagon dome. It was like the student commons, and you, they have a uh, it's a private college, so they have a bar on campus so so you walk in and it's this weird roadhouse octagon room where it's like (laughs) the second floor is like balcony octagon style so it's like a perfect like cage match bout and then the stage was kind of in the middle so okay you had students sitting everywhere and then you had an upper deck of people like leaning over the the balconies yeah sort of thing with all the arcades unplugged in the corners and yeah that's pretty cool when those venues that have the the upper the upper balconies i enjoy those yeah you're like oh yeah you guys are up there enjoying yourself too when it's packed and it's going really well yeah i love seeing those people up there um but other than that like that's kind of the most isolated gig i would say i've done like furthest farthest well i did my first ever headlining gig was in honolulu so like those i've done hawaii and miami um, but really just west of the Mississippi in, yeah. the, in the main 48. Yeah, I've done, uh, I think, 42 or 43 states now. I figured it out on a Southwest napkin not too long ago when they had their napkins that had the uh, where all they flew. Little states oh, okay. On there. Yeah, so I've worked in uh, Ireland, uh, Canada, Korea, and 42 states. So there's some of them in the northeast that I haven't done, and then Alaska and Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii, but I haven't worked there. And uh, I can't even think of the other ones. Montana. I don't know what the hell is in Montana. I don't know if there's any comedy. Let me. Uh, I'm just gonna throw a state out at you, and then first thing that pops into your head, South Carolina. I did a military gig there, and that's the only time I've ever been to South Carolina. What else you get? Well, hopefully a uh, longer answer next time. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. New Jersey. Never worked in New Jersey. Okay, that's one of the eight states you have not. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to throw out Arkansas. Uh, well, I work at a comedy club there called the Looney Bin a lot, and uh, I- I've, had some, I've had some good times there. That was one of the rooms that uh, I started headlining before I was a true headliner. You know, so, so that's so you got roots there. Looney Bin's like one of the original. Yeah, it, it, they they gave me one of my first uh, one of the first club. The first club I ever headlined, I think, for a week was a Sioux Falls Funny Bone, and I've been doing comedy about three years. Colleen gave me a, a, a chance to do it, and it went pretty well. But um, same Colleen from Omaha. Yep. No, nice. Colleen nice. Quinn, and uh, I'll see her at the end of. Uh, July, but what the hell was I asking? What what was I answering? Oh, I just threw out Arkansas. Oh. I, I just wanted yeah, to I worked there a lot. I love working there because my aunt Patricia, who I never see, is uh, down there, and the only time I get to see her is when she's down there, and all my relatives are, are passing away from down there. But I thought about buying a house, man. Shit, the the money that our house costs here, I could live in a compound and. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, it's in that's Arkansas. not a bad. I, mean, I could I, have like my own lake. Well, that's the thing. Like I know. Um, AJ Finney, who I I know, I'm, we're not great friends or anything. We've worked together in the past, but good dude, great dude. And I, 
you know, he'll either be living in Colorado or, you know, in, I know he spent some time out in like rural Missouri. But Yeah, we should have him on. He's an interesting when, cat. When you're a comedian, like as long as you're within two hours of an airport, you can really live anywhere. Yeah. And especially in the middle of the country. I know Steve Byrne for a long time moved to Chicago, partially because he had kids. He wanted to kind of raise them in the suburbs a little bit. But part of that decision I remember him saying was that he's right in the middle of the country. No, no longer... Are you spending five and a half hours flying from New York to L.A. or yeah. some of these Boston to L.A. flights? And now- That's why Kansas City was so great, man. It was so hard to leave because I worked so much because there's so much work within an eight-hour radius. You know, there's just there's just a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm ready to uh, branch out and, and uh, work work some other, some other parts of the country, kind of get out of uh, – well, if I can get you out of like your clubs. comfort zone, these tours that I'm starting to put together, they're kind of like, you know, pretty much like Smokey and the Bandit style, <laughs> where it's just like go, 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 yeah, drive. I try to do it so that they're it's it's a week long, and I try to book them so that the longest drives aren't any longer than like ten or twelve hours, and that between gigs, yeah, but then the not consecutive days, like. Because, you know, in this case, you're going up the West Coast, which is 1,600 miles to Seattle. Yeah. So it's like I'll try to book something like Northern California and then go to maybe Southern Washington, Northern Oregon. And then once you're up in the region from gig to gig, maybe three or four hours, sometimes even less than that. Um, and we can fly you in, you know, if we can pick you up in Seattle and then you just hop in the car. And then- well, yeah, the money's right, man. We can do any damn thing. And so... <laughs> Uh, that's, you know, I'm talk, talking with sponsors, try to subsidize some some revenue and this and that. But I, I would, we could maybe just put together all the states that you haven't performed in on the East Coast and maybe just check those off one at a time. Yeah, all those little states that you never think about until you're like, realize you haven't been to them. I recently went to Maine, or wait, Maryland, just on a, on a layover, but that counts, right? So I've, yeah. been, I've been to that state. Um, but Maine, yeah, Maine and, and New Hampshire and Vermont, all those places you don't really think about until you're like, what states have I not been to? But there's been a lot, a lot of comedians come out of New Hampshire and yeah. Vermont and up there. So I know it's a comedy friendly area, yeah. but that's just, just floating that out there. But whether it's in New England or just up to Idaho and back, right. If the money's right and I'm filming and documenting and tr- you know, turning that into some, you know, some episodes and yeah, know, man, having down. fun with it. We're gonna go to do some karate and go karts and that sort of stuff. And I wanted to tell this story. Um, um, yeah, I would love to do that. You, you, I'll keep you posted. I'll yeah, keep you posted. we'll uh, we'll laugh plan, prince. Yeah, prince. we'll plan something and uh, and make it happen. I wanted to tell this story about when I did that gig where I drove to Minot, North Dakota. I worked with Troy Baxley, who I don't know if you know him. I don't, I don't. Um, he's a Denver out of comic out of Denver and uh. We went. He was like, "You've got to get out of the." He's got this really interesting way of talking. I'm not sure where Troy's originally from, but he's like, he's like, "You've got to get out of the room, man. You've got to." Because I was getting ready to do this Comedy Central uh, contest, and he's like, "You just keep. You're just sitting in your room, going over your, going over your notes and your stuff." He's like, "You've got to get out of the room, man. You've got to feed your brain." And he's like, "Let's go bowling." And I'm like, "All right." So there's this bowling alley next door. And uh, we were just smoking ridiculous amounts of pot. And we went to this bowling alley next door. And he's standing there and he goes, look at those kids. They're eating and they're bowling. He goes, "Look at, think of all the piss and shit and crap that people <laughs> stick into those balls. And they're bowling and they're eating. <laughs> he goes, if those kids don't get sick, they need to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's as funny to people listening as it was to me, but uh, I'll never forget that. Well, I it, it was so and I think funny. I know where he's from. He's from the comic book comic book store at the Simpsons. From the Simpsons, that's where <laughs> that's where he's from. he does sound. I haven't talked to him in God. What was his I, name again? Troy Baxley. He Troy might, Baxley, reach yeah. out to us at Gaither Tim on Twitter. Troy, if you hear this, if this gets back to you, say what's up. Yeah, I don't know if he'd even remember me. I was just uh, I was just starting out, and he was already a really good comic at the time. So I might just be a Another nameless Tim Gaither does not recall. I do not recall that <laughs> name at all. Um, I do remember his closer, though. Um. Yeah, I had some good. Uh, I've had some good times with with people that I wish I would have uh, documented. 
you know, you don't think about that shit when you're younger, and I still don't. I still go to clubs and mean to take pictures and go back to my room on a Sunday and be like, shit, I never did take any pictures with anybody that I wanted to. The feature act, the GM that I like, or, you know, I just do that kind of crap all the time. It's just, it's a mindset, and, and that stuff takes time. Like, to stop, it's like you want to do it, but there's so much going on. Right. And madness after a show, shirts and, and pictures with the fans and this and that, and then when it gets around to the stuff that you wanted to do. Right. You're like, ah, I'd rather just go sleep, right? Yeah. Or, or, it, or it doesn't even pop into your head. Do you know Emo Phillips? No, I don't. But do you know of him? Yes, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, he's got shit that's so funny and so smart. I like almost have, I, you know, sometimes I have to go look it up in a dictionary and be like, oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that was a funny joke. <laughs> yeah, um, but he very, he's very different, and uh, he's been around forever. He was on the first HBO special that I saw when I was a kid, I was probably 11, and we were living in my grandparents' basement at the time, their makeshift basement. It was right after my parents got divorced, and uh, it was a pretty, it was the beginning of a fucked up time for me, but I remember being in that basement and watching that HBO special, and it was so funny, and Sam Kinison was on it, Emo Phillips, Sam Kinison had me laughing about some stuff, like about the Bible and Jesus and all this stuff. Yeah. I grew up as a Southern Baptist, and I remember thinking... And that's what he was, right, Kennison? Yeah. yeah. I remember thinking, like, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I just can't help it. It's so brutally freaking funny. And that's another thing. Like, if something's funny, if it makes you laugh, don't question it. Don't wonder where it comes from or if you're an evil piece of shit or whatever. Just laugh and be glad you got something to laugh at. But Emo Phillips was on that special, and one of the most surreal moments of my life, I was featuring for him at the St. Louis Funny Bone, and I gave him a ride back to his, uh, to his hotel. He was staying at a nicer hotel than me. And uh, actually, maybe we're staying at the same hotel. Anyway, I gave him a ride back to his hotel, and, uh, and we, he was like, this is an interesting car. And he was like, do you have any marijuana? And I was like 25, so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I got Damn pop. right I do. <laughs> <laughs> so we went up on the roof, and there was a pool on the roof. And we sat by the pool, and we smoked pot. And I was like, I got to tell you, this is the most surreal moment. You were, one, you were on the special that planted the seed, you know, that this was what I was going to do with my life. Even though I didn't realize until I graduated, almost graduated from college, Okay, you better, you know, you've known your whole life, now go do yeah. it. Um, so talking to him about that, about that, and, you know, um, it was just, I don't really have like a punchline for the but story. Did, did he know how to take, like, cause some people don't. <sighs> he was a different breed of cat, so I don't really know what the hell he thought of me. He just kind of looked at me like, oh, that's interesting. You know, emo's emo. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a different dude, but it was just, I was like, man, this is surreal. And I've had a few of those moments um, in my career. Like when Gallagher was giving me advice before my special, uh, that was surreal. I had to step back, and it, during the conversation, I thought to myself, this is pretty cool. Like, Gallagher's done eight, 14, like, Showtime specials or whatever. It's pretty cool that he's, you know. You're like, even though I don't have any fruit or vegetables, he's still... He's <laughs> yeah, still... I mean, he still knew about, like, you know... The show, like yeah. the showmanship. And, and like everything. how it sounds on the video versus he was like, if you're doing something and it doesn't get the laugh you think it deserves, pause like it is. Because when it, they see it on TV, it will come across that way or something like that, some advice. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, this is just cool as shit that he's – that he's doing this, that I'm ta- right. that we're talking at all. It's cool that Court McCown, who was in my, one of my favorite movies oh, right. when I was a kid, um, "Can't Buy Me Love." Yep, that was one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. And he was number thirty-three in Teen Wolf on Michael J. Fox's basketball team. Oh, he was. Yes. Okay. He was an extra. Well, in again, Teen Wolf. two iconic movies from my childhood, and. We're not great friends, but every time I see him, we say hello and we talk a little bit. And he sends me a happy birthday thing on my, you know, on my birthday. And uh, he's a great. And, and those little things to me are cool as hell. Like that, I even know a guy that I knew from a movie when I was twelve. You know that we yep. kind of know each other now. And I just think that's those little things to me are cool as hell. And just know? when you think that you're you're used to it, and you know, you're like ah, starstruck if you want to call it that. You get surprised every once in a while. Someone will walk up to into a club or up to the comedy store, and I'm like, 
oh man there's uh, you know it, it hasn't happened in, it's weird people like for me it was uh busy bone from bone thugs and harmony yeah <laughs> i don't know who that there. is but he, he's just like i'm like is that busy but he's like hey how's everybody doing he has a real like like a soft voice but Pulls out hundreds, buys everybody drinks. I'm like, you know what? Busy Bone, you're all right with me. It's the first of the month every day for you. <laughs> oh, is he that guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, that part of that month. Uh, Dave Grohl, one time. This was one of the coolest comedy. Because I worked at the store for like five years, so I got a lot of random interactions with weird people. But the bartender at the front bar goes, hey, can you tell Dave his tab's up? And I'm thinking Dave Taylor, the comic. I turn around as she's talking about, hey, can you go bother Dave Grohl? I'm like, yeah, this is an opportunity. I've been invited to bother him, so yeah. it's not as weird. I go, hey, Dave. And I just said, Dave, like that. Turns around, what's up? And I'm like, hey, I think she wants you to close out your tab. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I go, hey, not to bother you, man. I just want to say, like, I really, really love what you did in ten- with Tenacious D. Because he was the drummer in Tenacious D back in 01 when that album came out. Yeah. It's Dave Grohl, Jack Black, and Kyle Gass. Okay. And I go, like, you, I go, you being on that album, like, helped solidify, like, legitimize that as music in the music industry. Even as crazy as some of that stuff was, like, Dave Grohl's a part of it. Okay, this is legit now. Yeah. And he just starts laughing. He goes, dude, thank you so much for saying that. He goes, he goes, I'll tell you right now, uh, you want to know what the hardest band I've ever played in? Foo Fighters, Nirvana. He's like, the hardest band I've ever played in was Tenacious D. Yeah. He goes, you know how hard it is to keep a rhythm on a drums when you're laughing hysterically? I'm like, that's a great point. Yeah, that must be pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, but really, I think that's probably the last time that I was like, uh, oh, there's Dave Grohl. You know, like there's a legend in the music field. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't get too starstruck. Wrestlers, like if I go to the U.S. Open and there's like, you know, an Olympic champion or something, I, I get kind of weird around them more so than I do uh, – movie stars and most of the movie stars i meet or that i have met um they haven't been like huge or anything but a lot of times i've done shows with them and they're not really a comic so i'm like not starstruck because i'm like well i'm better than this than yeah. you yeah, yeah. You <laughs> you're just here for you're the you're the draw but uh, i'm the comic yeah you know <laughs> i actually look a lot better now because you're yeah, I would be nervous to meet Sylvester Stallone because I was such a giant Rocky fan when I was growing yeah. up. Um, I mean, in some ways, and still. Oh yeah, in some ways, those movies raised me more than my own dad. <laughs> I mean, literally, in some ways. It's good uh, lessons in, the, in those movies. Yeah, great lessons, and uh, I was so little when I first saw it, and it still gives me the same uh, tingle moments. I guess you know the I mean, same. It was things. your wedding cake. I mean, you had the yeah. Rocky wedding cake. That was a good damn cake. That was a great damn. cake. I, I guess it looked great. I didn't get to eat any of it, but anyway. It looked beautiful. I do, man. I I, uh, I know every line of every. Ro- I could I could fill in for any character in any Rocky movie. Damn. With like and with like very minimal preparation. Like what scene? What character? Got it. You're like I can. <laughs> if I forget it, I'll just improv it. I'll, the gist of the scene will come across in my presentation, in my performance. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about this on my one of my earlier podcasts. Should we do that? Should we shoot you like acting out Rocky scenes, but from both characters? We just film it like behind. We just get like a dummy to like to put the head behind. You know? It might be fun to do, um, and I would enjoy doing like Rocky and Mickey scenes, <laughs> or Rocky and Apollo. They've got some good ones too, but uh, maybe mainly Rocky and Mickey. Those are the two of my favorite. Uh, those are two of my like in Rocky Three when he's like. This guy doesn't want to win, you know. He wants to kill you to death. <laughs> this guy is a wrecking machine, and he's hungry. Hell, you ain't been hungry since you won that belt. What are you talking about? I had ten title defenses. That was easy. What do you mean easy? They was hand-picked. Setups? Nah, they weren't setups. They was good fighters, but they weren't killers like this guy. He'll knock you in tomorrow, Rock. Keep going, uh, keep going. I don't remember. Come on. No. <laughs> Damn. That was good. I'm like I'm like watching the movie in my head. I almost want to pull up the audio clip just to lay it over. Maybe just that's to what, see how well I do. That's you know what? I think I just found a new segment. I will pull up <laughs> I will pull up Rocky clips and then you have to do the scene after we play it. Is yeah. that a possible clip? Sure, man. I can do that. I can I could do it. Oh. Um, when I was a kid, it was really bad. You didn't even want to watch the movie with me. But like, should we just turn it down and you can do every fucking part, asshole? How about that? But now, like, now I'm a little more reserved, and uh, I don't watch it. You know, I don't watch it 
hardly ever now. When it's on, I won't not watch it. But when I was a kid, dude, I mean, every weekend we go to the, they go to the video store. What movie do you want? Every one of them. Every time. One, if we got three, one of them was usually a Rocky. One of the four at that time. Can we watch four again? All right. Fine. Dude, okay. when I saw Rocky Four, it was one of the best nights of my life. My friend Nathan Younger and I, for his 10th or 11th birthday, we went to Crown Center and we had this kick-ass dinner and we went and saw, it was during the summer, during the winter times, so it was like snowy out and uh, we went and saw Rocky Four. Rocky Four came out November 27th, 1985. Yep, and that was his birthday and, or it was for his birthday, I don't think his, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but we went there for his birthday, and it was, I mean, we were like, you know, 11 years old. He's fighting this Russian. It's during the Cold War. I mean, we were like standing up in the aisles at the, at the fucking movie theater just losing our minds. Red dude. Dawn still banging around in your head. Yeah, easily one of the best movies. Best nights of my life. Best nights of my childhood. It was great. Now that, uh, uh, to get back to, uh, not to sidetrack you from the Rocky which I, I do I do like that we're going to, I think, incorporate that some. I wanted to throw out uh, Utah. That's a weird comedy state. Any Utah gigs? Yeah, I've done a, I've done a few shows in Utah, I guess. I can't remember how they were, to be honest with you. So I don't remember anything good or like bad. Like clubs or one. I guess when I'm asking states, like I'm, I guess I'm fishing for that like really weird oh. roadhouse style chicken wire. Have you ever encountered well, the, a roadhouse style uh, the, the Aside show I, from the place in Klamath Falls, Ohio, that was probably the uh, the, the most like really you're really putting us up here, you know? Like that was the nastiest. And but then the shows were so damn good. I went I went back and did that club twice because the people were so great and they they bought so much shit. Um, but I've done so many shit gigs, dude. I mean, I I, don't, I try not to really do them anymore if I can avoid it. Um, but I've done some shit. The first time I ever did a long set was at a place called Chums. And I hadn't been doing comedy very long, and the, but the headliner didn't show up. And uh, I, I figured out, I, got, I, I had some drinks, and I ended up doing like an hour and ten minutes. And that's when I realized, like, I, I, I'm going to be able to do this. i got to get more material, obviously, but I can do this. Like, I've been given a gift. Because you had, you had no notification that you were gonna have to run long right no they were like how much time can you do and i was like i don't know maybe 40 but i didn't have 40 no. minutes no i had i did 17 minutes and i had my crocodile hunter closer in my back pocket and then i and then i did <laughs> almost right. an hour of just crowd work and you know i was doing shots of tequila but that was the first night i realized like you can do this you can do this it's in there you know and yeah. you, you kinda... it was the first time the funny me from from my whole life and the the I mean I'd have been in comedy like six seven months melted it melted into the same person dude and you I, did that after six seven months yeah I did an hour, a hour and ten minutes dude and I remember writing on the headshot I was like I had a breakthrough tonight like maybe I've been doing a year but not but very still, long eight months nine Jesus, months man. if that and uh but that then I and then and then uh, there was somebody in the crowd that started that recommended me to some booker and then I started headlining one-nighters yeah, within six months, I was headlining one-nighters, but all I had was 15, 20 minutes of decent material. And 45 minutes. And now I bet I wouldn't do any of that shit. And I would just go up and essentially just get drunk and talk to the crowd. And But, I mean, I had some great shows. I did some... I, I did this uh, Kirksville, Missouri. I did like an hour and 10 minutes. They had me come back for an, for an encore. Um Really? Yeah, I was a funny in, in drunk comedy? dude. Yeah, I was a. What is yeah. that? I've never even. I've done a few of those where they had such a good time. They're like, "Who wants to see some more of that shit?" <laughs> and are you like, "Hey, shut up <laughs> to the MC?" Or you know, back then I was like 24 and I was pretty liquored up. So I'm yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. come back." And Party's I came on. back up and did like 10 more minutes, and it's yeah, pretty damn awesome. easy that's to better do. Than a standing O, I think. Yeah, it's it's easy to do a, a crazy amount of time with some cocktails. And, <laughs> that so, is so true. It's yeah. so easy. You know, these guys that are like, you know, guys starting out like, oh, I got an hour. No, you don't. You got drunk and stretched your 10 into an hour, and 90% of that was shit. But I'm too hard on myself to, to be like, oh, that was good when it wasn't. Like, that was the first time I was like, you're funny, Tim, and this is... You're, you have to do this with your life, you know? Um, 
I, I remember you telling me this was I mean this was years ago, but um, about it was a story about I think it was one of the first times you had done a long set, but it was a show in Kansas City, and you said that you would just get up there and they would pass a bucket around. Like that's how they paid you. Does that sound right or is it familiar? Um, where did I do a show? But you said like it was kind of one of those things where the bucket kept going around and you like it eventually ended up. It might have been like your first like thirty minute or like. But from I, what I, I remember, it was like this moment where you were just super comfortable. Actually, kind of a lot like you were just describing. Yeah. Like you said, like I was just sitting there, the bucket kept going around, and people just kept saying more and more and more. And then yeah, I think maybe I said if you pass around a bucket, I'll keep going. That's or okay. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they started passing around cash, and I made a whole bunch of money that night. But yeah, I used to do Sunday, like like the Glazers would let me headline the Westport Sunday shows, and I loved it, man. I'd go up there, and they wouldn't pay me hardly anything, so I'd just take it out of the bar. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just drink on stage, and and that's where I learned how to do long sets, and I would record them, and I wrote a lot of jokes just talking, um, you know, and still my best shit is when I'm comfortable enough, um, I call it safety net writing. Like, you take a bit that is really solid that you can that you could write a lot more about. You just haven't yet. So you put that at the, at the end of whatever topic you're going to... Like, if I'm going to talk about my dog, I've got a really killer bit about my dog. But there's a lot of funny stuff about my dog that I've never touched on. So that particular bit, I can start talking about it five minutes ahead of where I'm going to get to that punch. It doesn't matter how long it takes me to get to the best part of that story to bail me out. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, if it's not going the way I want, well... The parachute's still there. Yeah, I've got something that I know is going to get me out of this. Right. But up until that point, I can just ramble and talk about my dog, and as long as it's funny, I can go with it as long as possible, and I've still got that in my pocket. Like, the very first time I headlined at that one-nighter, I still had the Crocodile Hunter in my pocket. So I knew if I just stretched, if I could stretch another 17 minutes or whatever, bullshitting, you know, and it's still kind of like that, and it just in a different way. Now I don't drink, so it's... Yeah, it's much more organized yeah. and orchestrated, and there's a lot more intention. And it's a little harder, you know, than when I was just drinking. You do kind of get kind of, you know, you get drunk. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to... You just get kind of <laughs> carefree. You get to that point if you've had... I try to limit myself to one drink on stage. Yeah. And you told me never drink beer. This was like seven years ago on stage because you then have halfway through your beer, you're like... It makes you burp. <clears throat> yeah, you're doing that like in the mic and you're just... It's ruining punchlines. I'm kind of flattered. Do you remember all this crap I told you? Oh, yeah. That was the first time. That was the first time I'd ever gone... The feature, so I'm like soaking it in. I'm like, okay, yeah, no beer on stage. That's that. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, open big, close big, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was drinking back then too, so I'm sure you got a whole earful of tequila. <laughs> how long have we doing doing? How long is this? Yeah, we can. We're about done. Uh, I, we'll save. I'll, I'll ask you about some more states later. But I, you know, we covered we covered more than a few this yeah, time. Yeah, I've been to I've been to most of them, so we'll have more to talk about. I thought this was good too. We got pulled the curtain back on comedy, which, with your years of experience, that's kind of what I like coming across the airwaves here with this. It's like, yeah, a lot of people don't realize it's not just hey the show starts at eight. It's hey I got in my car last night at ten p.m. to drive sixteen hours to get here at seven thirty. Yeah, because because the show starts at eight. And, oh, and, and I've the, tried. Sorry to interrupt. I've tried no. to like invoke sympathy somehow by telling the crowd that like if you're not having a, if a show's going not well. And you try to invoke some sympathy for whatever. Guess what? People don't give a shit. They're like, we didn't come to hear your excuses, <laughs> you know. And they don't. And and so I learned that pretty early on. Like, don't bitch at the crowd. Don't don't cry about your life or or you know if something bad happened or the sh- condo shitty or they didn't get your hotel or didn't pick you up from the airport so you literally came to the show. You know, they don't want to hear that shit. Just come up, knock it out of the park, yeah. do your thing, be professional. Don't tell us we suck because there's only 12 of us. We, we Maybe you suck, you yeah. know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then ultimately, if you're bitching, it's like the audience is like, hey, we live in Minot, North Dakota, right. buddy. That's <laughs> a total rookie mistake to go out and and bag on the crowd for like being small or something. Yeah. They're yeah, already yeah. intimidated for being there. They already feel stupid. They're already like, maybe we should, this is fucking lame. We should go home. And, and then on, you come out and confirm it for them. They're like, well, yeah, fuck Right, this. and they're on your side. They're there yeah. at the show. So it's just like, come out and act like this is the place to be, and 
they get on board a lot quicker than if you're like, ah, what the fuck? This is bullshit. Well, <laughs> right, you know, right. now they want to leave too. <laughs> so, so, Which I can, I can promise you guys this week that is not happening because as you're listening to this, if you're traveling to Vegas this week or if you're in Vegas right now, Tim is headlining the uh, Laugh Factory at the Tropicana down it's on the south end of the strip you can't miss it it's one of the the more legendary hotels on the strip but that's all week all the way through sunday the 12th through the 18th 8 30 and 10 30 each night monday through sunday 14 shows and so as you're listening to this there's probably eight left at least um so go check that out and then as far as july goes tim's that busy as hell up in seattle the 5th through the 8th um the Blue Room in Springfield, Missouri, the 14th and the 15th. That's a great show. So if you live down southern Missouri, um, I would say anywhere like Osceola South, that's getting pretty deep in some uh, references to Missouri. But like, yeah, that goes Branson, Joplin, Carthage. If you're two hours from Springfield, drive to the Blue Room, the 14th and the 15th of July. And then uh, the following week, Southern California, La Jolla Comedy Store, the 21st, 22nd of July. And then back to the Midwest, the 27th, 28th, 29th at the uh, Funny Bone in Omaha, Nebraska. And again, that's uh, July. And there's more dates if you go to TimGatherComedy.com. Uh, I'm also going to be in Sioux City, Iowa before Omaha at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe or Hard Rock Hotel or you something. You got to get like that. that up on your website, boy. I know. I forgot. I keep forgetting to have some So that looks there. like that's going to be the Wednesday, the 26th? Yeah. Okay. The Hard Rock in Sioux Falls. South Dakota, Sioux Falls, Sioux City, Iowa, Sioux City. Oh, that's just right across the border from. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's Iowa's version of Omaha. <laughs> it's right across the river. Yeah. It, that essentially is. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, or Omaha adjacent. Uh, so yeah, ma- making it happen. dot com. M a c a n. Uh, it happen. dot com. Uh, if you want to go donate and uh, help a good cause, help raise some money to get uh. Little guy in need of a pool for the summer, a little relaxation and more comfort. That's all he can do physically. So uh, that's that's who we're trying to help, little Bo Macon, to get a pool. And, uh, yeah, so please go to that. Give us uh, positive ratings and iTunes, Stitcher. comments, positive, all that stuff. We appreciate it. And, and then uh, one last plug, guys, if you go to laughprints.com, L-A-U-G-H-P-R-I-N-T-S, um, this podcast is featured on the site as well as another one I produce called Sportsaholics. Uh, and then um, the third podcast that's up there right now is um, No Comedic Value, which is another great show based out of the Midwest. So if you want to go to laughprints.com and check that out, there's also tour dates uh, for tour. This week I'm on. Uh, if you want to come out Washington, uh, Oregon, Medford this weekend, um, you know, just go to laughprints.com if you live within driving distance come out see a show it's myself a couple other comedy store comics in a car seven days seven shows 3500 miles and a lot of craziness so check that out please come support some live comedy if you can yeah check it out and uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon bye